Amen. Do you feel like you met with God in a powerful way during that worship this morning? That's the goal. The goal, you know, we don't sing about God, we sing to God. And I just love it when we, uh, we can all together feel like God is really in our midst doing powerful things. So praise God for that. This morning, we are going to continue in our series on the book of Romans. I laid out a discipleship challenge a few weeks ago, and I'd love for everyone in the church to get after it. If you didn't get one of these, they are available at the welcome table in the lobby after the service, but it says, Nail It Down, Discipleship Challenge. And the basically, what we're doing is reading the entire book of Romans, praying through the fall prayer guide. Uh, Four-week streak, come to church for four Sundays in a row at some point before December 9th. Memorize four verses. They're not hard. You can do it. Some people are pushing back on that. Memorization, I can't do it. You can do it, trust me. And then invite one person to church. If you finish this by Sunday, December 9th, you will be able to visit uh, our swag table and pick up something cool uh, from Harvest Palos, like a sweatshirt or, or a hat. or something. We're going to have cool stuff there. So I'd love for everybody to do this together. Go ahead and pick that up. Uh, today's sermon is going to be powerful and challenging. The title of the sermon is, What Does the Bible Say About Homosexuality?, which comes right up from the text in Romans 1, 24 to 28. Coincidentally, we're also starting a new program here at Harvest Palis. It's called Preacher for a Morning. So I'm going to pick one of you to come up here and preach the sermon this morning. I pick Mike Ryan. Come on up, Mike. You're going to take... <laughs> I'm just kidding. Boy, I am um, excited to speak on behalf of God, but also, uh, really, this is a challenging topic. So I feel the gravity of talking about homosexuality, um, doing it in the church, and doing it in the midst of a culture... Uh, that really is divided on this issue. So we're going to get into Romans chapter 1, verses 24 to 28. Let me pray, and then we'll start. Thank you, Father, that your, your word covers topics that are uh, in the headlines every day. Thank you that your word is relevant. This is not an ancient book. This is not an outdated book. This is not a book filled with myths and fairy tales. This is a book filled with issues and topics that affect people we love, people we know, people we live by. So our prayer, Lord, is that you would help us to grow in our understanding uh, of this important issue. Show us your heart and help us, O oh Lord, to reflect your will and your heart on this matter. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so here we are in Romans chapter 1. Uh, what I'm going to do first is uh, I've preached about four or five sermons on homosexuality, LGBT issues, gay marriage. We're going to make all of those available through the email this week. Make sure you're on our mailing list. So if at any point you're like, oh, he didn't talk about this, I probably have in the past, and I can't say everything about everything in one sermon, okay? So there's for sure going to be a lot of questions you have, and make sure that you take advantage of those other resources. But let me begin by asking, where are we on this issue of homosexuality, and how did we get here as a culture? Um, well, the reality is this. The world is still divided on this topic. There is not consensus. There's not consensus in the world, and there's not consensus in the church. It's a topic that divides the world, divides families, divides churches, because people aren't sure what they believe, and they aren't sure how to treat people who this issue is very real for. Here's a few pictures that demonstrate how the topic uh, generates very strong feelings either way. So here's some pictures from some gay pride parades, people holding up signs, gathering, and trying to get the message out that this is about love, that this is not about hate, that this is about people and families and children. And um, the, these pride parades obviously happen all around the world. And here's another picture of counter messages. And some of them are blatant, and some of them are angry, and some of them are more moderate, and some of them are more uh, restrained. And yet all of these voices are out there, and um, people on both sides of the issue have a hard time talking to each other about this issue. So let me give you a brief history of where the world has come on this, on this issue. For hundreds of years, homosexuality was a crime. It was a crime everywhere. Uh, in American history, for example, between the 1600s and the 1960s, sodomy was illegal. Um, and what that meant was if you were homosexual, you had to live with a secret that would destroy your life if it became known openly. Uh, it would destroy your life and perhaps even cost you your life. The uh, penalty was death in the colonies and in England. That's the starting point. During the rise of psychology in the 1950s, homosexuality was first classified as a mental disorder in the first manual. That's where the medical community started. 
And treatment options weren't great. If you sought treatment, the options included electroshock therapy, lobotomy, castration. So it's obvious for a long time that the world failed to understand and assist those who were experiencing same-sex attraction. Let me say that again. For a long time, the world failed to understand and assist those experiencing same-sex attraction. And a lot of the energy and the hurt came from that failure. So a strong push for normalization of the relationships and the behavior happened between 1960 and between 1980. Uh, the world began to change its mind. In 1969, the Stonewall riots officially marked the birth of the gay rights movement. Uh, so a strong push for normalization came between 60 and 80. Now a strong push for awareness and compassion and fear happened in the 80s and the 90s. Depending on which side of the issue you were, you were either pushing for compassion or awareness or fear over this issue. Society was torn on how to react to the AIDS outbreak, and the country was divided both in its convictions on what they believed about the lifestyle and the consequences, and the society was torn and divided by its compassions. How do we help? How do we care? So a strong push for awareness, compassion, and fear happened between the 80s and the 90s. Now, in the 2000s, this led to the glamorization and the legalization of the gay lifestyle. It was glamorized and it was legalized. Celebrities, businesses, politicians began to openly identify carefully, strategically, with the movement. And eventually, the Supreme Court legalized gay marriage. That was just three years ago. So it might feel like, wow, this is now, this is now law. This is now, that was three years ago. That's how recent um, all of these things happened. Uh, now, wide, so what we see is that widespread endorsement and popularity of the homosexual lifestyle is very, very recent, not just in America, but around the world. Uh, because of that, it happens so rapidly, there are still people who have very strong opinions um, because many people feel like the world didn't really have time to process all of this correctly. Uh, and the world is not just divided, the church is divided. Some churches and denominations fully embrace the homosexual lifestyle as if it's natural and God-honoring, while others reject the practice. Some say, well, as long as you're in monogamous relationships, it's the same as any other. Others say anything goes. Um, Joe Dallas is a pastor who was attracted to men from a very young age, and so he comments and helps the church to understand what it's like to actually be living this out. And here's what he says. He says, homosexual people feel largely misunderstood by the church, which they feel sees them as either the worst or weirdest of sinners. This is him. He's like, I grew up in the church. I'm a pastor. I went to seminary. And this is what it felt like to be me. Now, that's the history. Um, here's where we're going with the sermon. I believe if we don't look to the Bible to find our convictions and our compassion on this issue, the church and the world will continue to fail the gay community. Okay, so my heart is that. That's my only agenda. Without God's word and God's heart, I believe we will fail to understand and help homosexual men and women live with the joy and the peace that God intends for them. So in this sermon, first, I will in the first point share exactly what the Bible says about this in a gracious manner. Second, I will speak to those directly who experience same-sex attraction on how to apply God's word and understand his will for your life. Third, we're going to have Q&A, Q&A, where you can actually ask questions about this issue. And here's the way we're going to do that. If you have your phone on you, you can type in a website. I think we're going to put the address up there. Uh, it's um, www.com pigeonhole.at. Do you see that at the top? It's pigeonhole.at. Don't type in pigeonhole.com because that's actually a fashion website. And I don't want anybody shopping for blouses while I'm preaching, okay? So pigeonhole.at. And then once you get there, you have to type in Romans 1 into the uh, address. It's like, an it's like the conference code or whatever. But if you go to pigeonhole.at and then you type in Romans 1, you will be able to submit a question. And then you can submit a question or you can like a question and the question with the most votes gets pushed to the top. And so then the third point of the sermon is all Q&A and your question might be able to get answered in the sermon. If we don't get to it in the sermon, I'll send out an email later addressing some of those. So leave that up there for another second so people can get that in. Um, but there's going to be Q&A um, at a point coming up. So when it comes to the book of Romans, we are right now going to Romans chapter 1, verse 24. And the question, the first question we have is what does the Bible say about this issue. And in Romans chapter 1, we've already covered some ground. We've talked about how Paul first lays out 
our, our problem, our moral problems, and where these uh, problems come from and how God feels about them, and, and he's trying to show us why the world is the way it is. So here we are in Romans chapter 1, uh, verse 24. Here's what it says. Um, it says, Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So we've already talked about spiritual decline. Uh, all The views of all these other gods and idolatry didn't come about by cavemen growing up and inventing hundreds of gods. And then one day we're like, no, there must be one of them who rules them all. It's the opposite. We started knowing about one God, and as we spiritually declined, we began to invent other gods and worship them and serve them. So the spiritual decline happened first, and then it goes on to start talking about how moral decline happened after that. So it says in verse 26, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Men likewise gave up natural relations with women, were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And then it goes on to give a list of many other sins that grow out of this. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, their gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents. Now all of those are coming, right? Uh, but what we're seeing here is the spiritual decline in man and in humanity leads to all different forms of sin. That's where these problems all come from. But we're going to um, zero in on uh, homosexuality and what the Bible says about that uh, first. So the first question that you can write down in your bulletin is, what does the Bible say about homosexuality? And as I even throw that question out there, uh, there's, a, there's a question lurking behind that one, which is, where do we get our truth? So I'm sure everybody has some opinions on this issue, but my question for you would be, where did you get your opinions? Uh, where do you find your truth? Um, where does your moral authority come from? For so many today, their moral authority just comes from themselves. They're like, well, this is, this is what I think. But that can't really be binding on anyone else. And so when it comes to moral authority, if we're going to say something is right or wrong objectively, we have to find a way to justify that. You know? So when it comes to truth, the nature of truth, it's not what grandma says or what celebrities think or what musicians sing that can really verify a thing is true. We have to find out what God thinks about an issue. That's really what we're, what we're looking at. So what does the Bible say about homosexuality? What does God think? How does God feel about this topic? Um, it begins in verse 24 and verse 25. It says this, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Um, so here's the first thing we see. It's, the Bible says the passion is dishonorable. The passion is dishonorable. It says dis the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, and this was a, a lust of their heart that God gave them up to, to impurity. There's all these adjectives. Um, it says in verse 26, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. So the passion is dishonorable. Uh, working through this, here's what it says. It says God gave them up, which uh, means turn them over. So we observe here that some passions pull us from God. Some, some desires within us, strong desires, can actually pull us away from God. And they may feel like we should be follow them, but we have to be careful because there are some passions, some lusts, some desires. And when these passions pull us from God long enough and we don't get on the right path toward God, then he will turn us over to them. So imagine you're in a boat in a surging river, and this is uh, a river that God does not want you to go down because he knows there are painful things at the bottom. You know, he's holding the boat, but there is just a desire to go with that current. And eventually God turns you over to it. And that's one way that you can learn where those passions take you. So it says God gave them up to the lusts of their heart to something he forbids. Then it uses the word impurity to impurity. That means unclean. Um, and then it talks about a truth being exchanged. There's an exchange of truth. They have exchanged the truth about God. So what we see here is that some actions force us to reject God and to reject his law. Um, some, some passions and some people with the way that we're relating to them in life could challenge us to reject God's law and reject God, which means there's an exchange. I'm, I'm exchanging God 
uh, for this passion or for this person. Um, that is the essence of idolatry in the heart, but idolatry isn't just having a little statue on your dashboard. It can actually be replacing God with other feelings or other people um, in appropriate relationships. Now, when it comes to the passions themselves, th this does refer to sexual desires. And let me be clear here, everyone in this room experiences dishonorable sexual desires. Everyone does. So the Bible's not saying here that the homosexual desire is uniquely dishonorable among all sexual desires. There, everyone in the room has some dishonorable sexual desires, and so we all must therefore look inside and say, what am I going to do with these passions that are trying to pull me away from God? That's everyone's battle. We are all attracted to things that lead us into temptation. Uh, we, since humanity fell into sin, we all feel attracted to things that displease God. There is an attraction to them, a pull. Uh, another way to think about it is sin is very appetizing. It's appetizing. And that's why there is a natural pull to sin. So uh, yesterday, if you're my Facebook friend, you know this, but yesterday, Pastor Mark and Mike Kiowski and I ran the Indianapolis Marathon. And I'm proud to report I came in like 3,500th place. I'm like 6,000, okay? So, so I've got the medal here, which is pretty cool. And what they do is after you finish the race, they put a medal on you, and then you walk like a zombie because they have these food tents set up, and you're starving because you just burned like 10,000 calories or whatever. So you walk to the food tent, and you basically just start eating everything. You know, there's just like pizza on plates, and you just start, like, I accidentally bit a guy on the hand because I was just so hungry. Ah, I got to get food. I got to get food. Uh, I'm embellishing a little. But... When it comes to the word appetizing, I think of the fact, I, like, I was hungrier than I had been in a long time, and, like, I would eat anything. I mean, anything. The banana with the peel. Like, just put it in my mouth, right? I'll eat it. Throughout the race, they had a little station set up. You know, neighbors, they were just bringing food out of their house because everyone looked so hungry. Now, when it comes to sin, sin is always appetizing, and this is true before and after you're a Christian, when you're a Christian, if you think somehow God's just going to take your desire for sin away, you're wrong. Sin is appetizing. There's something about it that's just tasty. Like, you know, if I had that in my life, my life would be so much better. Uh, and that's why, uh, that's why we are drawn to do things um, that are sinful. Why is it that sometimes you feel so pulled to lie to get out of trouble? right? Why? It feels so natural. Why is it that you want to take revenge on someone who hurt you? Why is it that you and I love to brag about our achievements? It's like, that's the default, right? It's because sin is appetizing. Sin delivers something for us. It protects us. It, it, uh, so sin is appetizing. What that means is when you look inside yourself, if you feel naturally drawn to something, you can't assume, therefore, it must be God's intention. You can't say, well, because I'm naturally drawn to this, therefore it must be God's intention for my life. Because sin is attractive. Sin is appealing. Sin is magnetic. And we can't trust that because we're drawn to something that it's automatically, therefore, God's will. Um, now, when it comes to our sexual passions, here's the point. When we look inside of ourselves and find sexual passions, like every other area of our lives, we must submit those passions to God. And this is true for everyone in the room. We must submit our sexual passions to God. Um, the Bible doesn't say if you're gay, you have to submit your sexual passions to God. The Bible says if you're human, you have to submit your sexual passions to God. Everyone is called to submit all of our feelings, desires, our will to God. And that means putting them under his law and uh, putting them under his love. So the Bible says the passion is dishonorable. Then it goes on to say this. It says... Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Um, the description here first is of a lesbian relationship with a woman and a woman, and it says the relation is unnatural. So you can write that down. The passion is dishonorable, and according to the Bible, the relation is unnatural. Um, so the Bible calls the sexual relationship between two women unnatural. And the word against nature uh, means it, go, it doesn't mean it goes against like the animal kingdom or anything. It means it goes against God's created intention. Now, for everything I'm saying here, there are some liberal progressive Bible scholars who will stand up and say, well, no, the Bible actually means something else. So I kind of have to defend this view. So the progressive scholars will say, well, this could mean that it's sinful to go against your nature. 
meaning if you're by nature a homosexual person, then you can live that out. But if you're by nature a heterosexual person, then, then if you get into a relationship with the same sex, then that's wrong. Well, this is really forced on the text because there's simply nothing in the Bible that talks about discovering your orientation and then living in line with that. This is clearly pointing us back to God's natural created order, not your perceived natural desire. So that's, that's really not an appropriate interpretation of this text. The Bible always measures all sexual behavior by Eden. One man and one woman, sexual act, sexually active in marriage for life. And we learn that whether you would consider yourself um, heterosexual, homosexual, God's plan for your sexual orientation is biblical marriage or the gift of singleness. That's his will. He lays out biblical marriage or the gift of singleness. singleness. Those are the sexual orientations that God approves in his word. So any sexual relationship outside of biblical marriage is against God's design. So please be clear here. Sometimes people can get so derogatory when they're talking without mercy about the homosexual lifestyle, and they could be like, it's against nature. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is any sexual relationship outside of marriage, homosexual or heterosexual, is against God's design and therefore unnatural in the biblical sense. So the relation is unnatural and the passion is dishonorable. Then it goes on to say um, in verse 27, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So jot this down. It says the act is shameless, shameless acts. So we have the passion, which is where it begins, then the relationship, which is where it leads, then there's an act, then there's an actual homosexual act. And it, the Bible says that the act is shameless and leads to painful consequences. It goes on to say uh, that they received in themselves the due penalty for their error, which means there are consequences that come from this error when, these, uh, when they indulge in these actions. So the, the acts are shameless and lead to consequences. Uh, this describes both the shame, which is of the soul, and the, and the consequences, consequences, which are usually of the body. The word error there means a wandering. So the idea of uh, plunging into this relationship, the Bible calls that a wandering. When we went to Starved Rock several years ago, we walked into this little canyon thing, and we looked up, and suddenly there were people at the top of the canyon just looking over like this, like, oh, hello, all the way down there. And it's slippery, and it's not safe. So a ranger came in, and he shouted up there, get back on the trail. They hopped a fence or something to come and look into the canyon. He's, get back on the trail. And he was serious. So everybody in the canyon looked at him, and then he looked at us, and he's like, I've picked up kids dead here. So this is a man who knows what happens when somebody wanders off the trail and then plunges sometimes to their death. Uh, and this is basically what the Bible is saying here, that there's an error, there's a wandering involved here. Get back on the trail because the pain comes. As is the case with any sexual sin, when God says don't, he's saying don't hurt yourself. When God says don't, he's saying don't hurt yourself. You're inviting pain when you walk off the safe trail of his word and some of us have learned the hard way that all sexual sin leads to painful emotional, relational, and even medical consequences. And God wants to protect us from that. So it says the passion is dishonorable, the relation is unnatural, uh, the act is shameless. And then it goes on to say uh, in verse 28, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. So the, write this down, the mindset is debased meaning the mindset reflects a rejection of God, a turning away from his heart and his law. Now again, some progressive liberal scholars will say, you know, you can be a gay Christian today because they didn't have homosexuality back then like we have it today. Today you can get married and you can live a lifetime of monogamy and so therefore that can honor God, but they didn't have that back then. Here's the problem with that teaching. Um, we see here that when it comes to the, what the Bible condemns about homosexuality, it condemns the passion, okay? the, the, the lust, the desire. It condemns the relation, meaning I'm with this person in that relationship. It condemns the act, meaning now I'm doing these things. It condemns the act, and it even condemns the mindset that this is something that I can do that would honor God. 
when you realize that this is what the Bible teaches, you have to admit that the Bible does not just condemn some forms of homosexuality. The Bible broadly condemns all forms of homosexuality. So there are some gray areas in the Bible where you apply it differently in different circumstances, but this is clearly a black and white issue. It is clear as anything else can be. So what does the Bible say about homosexuality? Well, this is, this is what it says. Now, the next question is this. Uh, actually, we'll get to the second question in a moment, but first, let's put that link up there again because I want you to know how you can ask your question. I'm sure you have them, pigeonhole.at, and then you type in Romans 1, and then that should get you into it. Is it working? Raise your hand if you got in. Anybody get in yet? Okay, good. It's working. Okay, and uh, do we have a link with any questions yet? Yeah, let's show a few questions that are up there. All right, cool. We've got like one, two, three, four, five questions that are up there, and then you can vote on a question, so cool. All right, it's working. Number two, how do I deal with same-sex attraction? That's number two. You can drop that down in your Bible or in your bulletin. Uh, I'm always careful when I preach on this to actually talk to people who would say, that's me right? That's me. We don't want to talk about you, right? Uh, as if we're all in a room and you're out there. So I, I'm very careful to talk uh, directly to people who would say, how do I deal with same-sex attraction? Um, some people have talked to me about this in the past, and I know that there's confusion at the beginning stages of understanding themselves. Um, maybe some people are in that early stage where you're trying to figure out what's going on inside of me and how do I feel about that. There are other people who are maybe living in the gay lifestyle seeking companionship and affirmation and figuring out what that is uh, doing for them. There are other people uh, in this church, maybe even watching online or whatever, who would be far down the road. And, and you have, in your, in your extended years, have been living with these feelings. And, and maybe on the one hand, you have lived them out in relationships, and now you're looking back and seeing where that has led. Or maybe you have decided early on to abstain from living those out, and, and you're dealing with the feelings of, restraining yourself from, from going down this path. But I know that there are a lot of people who are asking those questions. And there are some people who aren't familiar with church or the Bible, and they flat out are like, is God anti-gay? I mean, is that what you're saying, that God is anti-gay? So let's talk a little bit about how we deal with same-sex attraction. You can jot this down. Uh, here's how we deal with it. First, an invitation to conversation and community an invitation to conversation and community. Uh, too often, as soon as somebody begins to process these things, they go dark, they don't talk to their family, they, don't talk to their, they find a few people who they trust, and they do all the processing and decision-making there. And then by the time they come out of the closet and they make their announcement, everyone is expected to make up their mind, like in, in the amount of time a Facebook post give you, gives you to like this or not. And and you're either in or you're out, and everyone else feels like they've been left in the dust. And I would just say that that's a very bad way to deal with this. Uh, if you just keep it away from everybody and then suddenly jump out and expect everybody to immediately find out how they feel about it, and you give them two seconds, that's a really bad way to deal with this. And we've seen that happen before, and it really hurts families. So I would say I'm inviting you to conversation, to opening up to people about these feelings, and to community, processing these feelings uh, in community with other people. Um, there's great news for people who might be newer to the church. Uh, God loves the gay community. I hope you know that. In Titus 3, 1 to 5, here's what it says. We'll put this up on the screen. It says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Listen, to speak evil of no one. Hey, how about that for your next Facebook post? My goal for this year is to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle. Now apply this to all the conversations we hear about LGBT issues. Avoid quarreling, be gentle, show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Um, I don't know what your perception of Christians is, but that's what we're supposed to be doing, okay? Not hating anyone, 
not, not being, you know, obnoxious and, and vengeful. And so if Christians have failed you in that, I apologize on their behalf. But we are invited into community, into conversation. I'd like this to be a church where people can be honest about their experiences, where they can ask questions about their deepest desires. I'd love for this to be a church where you can discover who God made you to be without fear. Uh, somebody came up to me once at one of our Step 1 events, which is like getting to know the church, and he, he like came up to me and he, he like started whispering. He's like, um, I'm gay. Is it okay if I'm gay? I'm like, yes. I'm sorry that you even feel like you have to whisper that question. Like, okay, okay. I mean, I, I haven't been to church much. I don't know. And I'm like, ah, shame on us. Um, here's what I would say too, though. Anybody who comes to our church from any background, you have to know what church is all about. Church is all about you being willing to learn what the Bible says. And the Bible says a lot of things about a lot of different areas in your life that you're going to be like, oh, ouch, that hurt. So are you willing to wrestle with what it means for you? And are you willing to be around people who might not high-five everything in your life? And it's a shame when, for any reason, we decide we're only going to be around people who agree with us. Okay? And it's even worse when we decide, whatever side of the issue you're on, that you can only love someone if they agree with you. If you don't agree with me, then you must not love me, and I'm not going to love you. But that's a recipe for national disaster. Okay, if everyone makes the deal that I'm only going to love people who agree with me, we're going down in flames. You have to learn, I have to learn how to love people who disagree with me. And so there are going to be some things that we maybe don't agree on, but the point is we can have great conversations as we learn to understand each other. So an invitation to conversation and community is the beginning. That's a choice you have to make, and others can't make that for you next. An invitation to repentance and salvation. Repentance and salvation. Um, listen, when I stand up here and say, you have to repent of your sins or you won't go to heaven, I'm not saying that to you because you're gay. I'm saying that to you because you're human. Okay, if we took the sexual thing off the table and all we talked about was your words and your thoughts and, and how you treat your parents and how you handle your money, there is plenty to condemn you. All right, so this isn't like, oh, you're singling me out because of this one area of my life. No, no, no. This is because we're human that God says to us that his plan for us is to repent and to be saved. And this is great news. If you want to know how God feels about our sin, you have to look to the cross. He sent his son into the world. He lived the perfect life, and he died on the cross. And the Bible says what he was doing there was he was giving himself as a substitute for you because the penalty for your sins and mine is death and hell. But God loves us so much that he sent his son to take death for us. He jumped in front of the gun. He took that for us, and then he was thrown in a tomb. When you realize that you and I are sinful and broken beyond repair, then we bring all of our sins before a holy God, and we say, forgive me, save me. And then the, the Son of God who died for you and me, he rescues us, and then he redeems every area of our lives. So I'm issuing a repentance, uh, a call, an invitation to repentance and to salvation. So are you saved? Have you been baptized? Have you agreed with God and said, I need a rescue? I need a rescue in all areas of my life. That's second. So an invitation to conversation and community, an invitation to repentance and salvation, and then an invitation to sanctification and satisfaction in Christ. The word sanctification means after you're saved, God goes to work setting you apart uh, to serve him well for the rest of your life. Sanctification can be a washing. Sanctification can mean you're set apart from sin and separated so that you can serve God well. Um, but sanctification, setting apart areas in your life to honor God, leads to satisfaction in Christ. There's the joy, there's the peace, there's the security. Um, so many people who come to Christ are confused about what God will do if you talk to him about your homosexuality and you actually desire to change. And there are some people who have come to God and they said, I don't want this. I don't want this and I want you to change me. And then they get disillusioned when they feel like it doesn't happen. So let me be clear on what it means if you're in that camp and you're like, I don't want this and I want God to change it. Um, first of all, understand what won't happen. Uh, what won't happen. Um, uh, homosexuality is not a plague to be cured. It's not a plague to be cured. God won't cure homosexuality, okay? Because it springs from many good desires. God wants you to be related intimately to men and women and therefore he won't stop that. So he doesn't cure it, uh, he converts every area of your life so that you can honor him. So this helps you to know how to pray. 
Lord, convert my sexuality so it will serve your purpose, whatever that means. Lord, convert my, I mean, this comes to every area of your life. Lord, convert my wallet, convert my tongue, help, help me to change gears and to really honor you. That's what it means to be sanctified. Um, some will find satisfaction in a heterosexual relationship that they never thought possible. And that's happened. Um, you might be like, well, that, that just will never be me. Okay. Others have discovered a gift of singleness that the Bible talks about, which Jesus had, and which the Apostle Paul, who wrote this book, had. Um, and what you find is that God appoints for some people the gift of singleness, a lifestyle uh, where you enjoy a special intimacy with God that others can't enjoy because they don't have that gift of singleness. The Bible calls it a gift. Um, all in all, people who come to God and they say, I want this area to change, can, can see God over time uh, provide a drastic decrease in the frequency and intensity of temptation in this area, extended season of victory over unbiblical lusts and behavior, and also you can enjoy a loving church family around you that accepts you regardless of your past. So that's success. That, that's success. It's not that God takes your sexuality away, but like every other area of your life, he conforms it to his will and he satisfies you in his son. So, number one, what does the Bible say about homosexuality? My goal is to present that clearly with, um, uh, and honorably. Number two, how do I deal with same-sex attraction? And then number three, we're going to go to the Q&A, but here's again the link. Put the link up there. There you go. Pigeonhole.at. Romans 1 is the what you use to go in. Um, and then the next, uh, we'll get to the question update in a second. So number three, you can jot this down, Q&A. How do we discuss and defend our view? And I would just challenge you to discuss this issue with grace and conviction. You can write that down. Grace. If you're a truth person, you really need to work on grace when you talk about this issue. But there's conviction. So if you're a grace person, you have to learn how to actually express conviction on this issue. And then learn how to answer biblical and cultural objections. Learn how to answer objections, meaning don't just be like, well, my grandfather always used to say, well, actually inform yourself on what that means. Okay, let's go back to the live questions right now, and we'll see what the questions are at. I think we might need to go back up to the master page. The master link probably works. The second one, maybe not. All right, we're going to pull up the list of questions here in a second. This is the first time that we did it. <laughs> All right, they're working on it. The first time you do anything, you learn a lot. Um, while they're waiting for that, let's put up that picture of the books, the picture of the books maybe. So there are some resources. I think we still have these in our bookstore. If not, you can order them online. But if you want to get more informed about what it's like to actually live you know, in this world, Christopher uh, Yuan wrote a book with his mom. His mom prayed for him for many years after he announced that he was gay. And um, so he uh, talks about his journey into the homosexual lifestyle and eventually he went and got a Bible degree, and so he had to process all that. And so he and his mom, it's kind of cute, they wrote a book called Out of a Far Country, Christopher Yuan. Uh, Joe Dallas is an ordained minister, and he spent many years living a heterosexual lifestyle and then many years in the homosexual community. So he, he knows both worlds. So you can read his book, Joe Dallas. It's called The Gay Gospel. And it, it goes through every passage in the Bible and explains what it says, what it means. And then Rosaria Butterfield was a skeptic, didn't grow up in the church, had no desire to become a Christian, and suddenly she started hearing about what the Bible says. She was an English professor, and she eventually found Christ. So she writes this book called The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert to talk about what it means to be a total outsider, and then, and then to suddenly come in and try and find out what God's will is for her life. So we'll post those on Facebook as well. We're good? Oh, I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> All right, I think they're still getting it set up. Um, if for some reason that won't, uh, oh, okay, so they text me the questions. Good. Uh, they'll get them up there in a second. Okay, so it looks like uh, 10.05, it looks like the number one question at the time of this text was, uh, I have a number of gay employees, I've been invited to many weddings, straight and gay, and have attended both. Does the church view this as inappropriate? So attending weddings for gay people, does the church view this as inappropriate? So some people have asked me about this. I think this is truly a gray area because the Bible doesn't speak to it. 
So when it comes to should I go to a gay wedding for my employee or family member, I would say that it's not really my job or the church's job to say this is a black and white issue. I can't do that. So I would say it's wise for you to get advice and to say, if I go, what does that say and what happens? If I don't go, what do I say and what happens? But I think that's an issue where um, it's, it's gray depending on what your involvement is in that, why you would be going, why you wouldn't be going. And if you decide to go, what are you saying? And if you decide not to go, you know, how do you go about that? I think getting wisdom is important. Maybe even talking to your small group leader or pastor is important. Um, but I don't think it's my place to say black or white, yes or no. Second question, uh, I'm gay, am I welcome at your church? Yeah, I just covered that. This question was asked before it, but really um, there's definitely an invitation to conversation and community, just like everybody else, and to repentance and salvation and to sanctification and satisfaction in Christ. So yes, everyone is welcome in the church. Just know what everyone can expect. Invited to be saved, invited to be sanctified, invited to turn from your sin, whatever it is. So there's constantly that desire to say, how do I conform every area of my life to God's will? So there is that welcome, um, but you have, to con you have to ask yourself, what does the Bible say about you, your lifestyle in every area, and how do you want to respond to that? That's what we do. We help people to find out how God's word applies to them. Um, can you be saved while living a homosexual lifestyle? Yeah, I think that you can be saved and you can do any sin in the book. Like, you can be a saved person and kill somebody. You can be a saved person and lie. You can be a saved person and envy. So the Bible makes a few distinctions when it comes to our relationship with sin. Uh, so the Bible says that if a brother is caught in a sin, Galatians 6.1, a Christian's job is to go to that brother and to help release them from that sin. So if you would say, I'm a Christian and I'm involved in the gay lifestyle, the Bible says that it would be a brother or sister's job to come to you and, and help you to get out of that and to say, I'm going to live a life that aligns with God's word. If you were to say, well, I'm just going to live in that lifestyle and I don't plan on changing it and I think God is still good with me and I don't, you know, I disagree with you, I would just direct you to 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 on that, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. So there's a distinction between somebody who's really in the fight with their sin and someone who is really allowing their sin to take over. Uh, it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Listen, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Meaning if there's any sin that rules your life and you have no plans to repent of it, then that's against the gospel. You are rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't say, I am a thief by trade and it's what I do and Jesus still loves me and go to heaven. You can't because you haven't repented of your sin. The good news is in verse 11, it says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. So the uh, road set forth in front of everybody um, is repent of your sins, leave them behind, and then walk in a way that honors God. Jesus saves you and he helps to change you. Um, oh, oh, good. It's up on the screen. Um, 25 votes, 22 votes, 18 votes. I'm, I'm, you can scroll down a little bit. I'm not sure why that one's at the top. I will answer that. Uh, do all gay people go to hell? Um, all humans go to hell unless Jesus saves them. Hell is my fault, okay? Uh, I should go there. And if, if for whatever reason you were not told that you were born heading toward hell and that that's your destination because you're human, I'll tell you that, okay? Hell is my fault. I deserve to go there. So it's not that you're gay that causes you to go to hell. It's that you're human. And you and I have rebelled against the holy God. So Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and if you've been raised to think that you're just one of God's children and he's always loved you, uh, you don't understand the precious truth of adoption. The only way you get into God's family is he adopts you, okay? Meaning he finds you alone, vulnerable, uh, homeless, and, and he calls you into his family. Okay? And that means you leave your world of sin behind and you get adopted into his family. That's how you get saved. If you think you and God have always been good, you don't understand the spiritual nature of all rebellion in your heart. And you've got to reckon with that. Okay, our sexual sins are just one chapter 
in an entire binder filled with things that God's going to judge us for. So, uh, yeah, all humans go to hell unless, unless they're saved. Um, can we scroll down, or is this a screenshot? Yeah. Okay, I'm looking for the one with the most votes. Uh, so we, we covered that one, we covered that one, so I'll just keep scrolling down. How do we respond when people question why we consider homosexuality a sin, but don't consider other things in the Old Testament as sin, such as cutting your hair? That's a great one. Sometimes people will say, uh, in fact, there was a sign in that picture early on that said, you know, we, uh, Leviticus talks about not cutting your hair too. We don't follow that anymore. So why do we look to the Old Testament to follow the rules on homosexuality? Uh, here's what I would say. When it comes to how the Old Testament applies to our lives, um, there are civil laws, ceremonial laws, uh, there are moral laws. And so there are passages in the New Testament that tell us how to apply the old. So why don't we apply the food laws? Because Jesus said that they're all fulfilled, meaning he clearly changed how God's people apply those food restrictions in the New Testament. When it comes to the civil laws, there were conventions in the New Testament where they decided how non-Jews should apply the uh, civil uh, or the ceremonial laws. Do we make them follow the law of Moses or not? So this is something that the new early church in the New Testament was very open about, okay? And what you find consistently in the Old Testament and the New is that homosexual behavior in all of its forms falls in the category of moral laws, which means not only does the law stay black and white in both the Old and the New, but it's condemned in its nature. In all expressions of this, it's a sin. So you can't say because God changed a clothing restriction, he therefore must have also changed a restriction on homosexuality. You can't justify that biblically. And this is an area that's not gray. It's clear. It's clear in the old and the new how God feels about it and what he commands. So anybody who wants to change that has to really mess with the Bible to do that. And it's very easy to demonstrate that. Um, what is the best way to approach a gay person and let them know that um, being gay is a sin? So this is a great question about how do we talk with people about um, this area. Uh, here's what I would say. I would say, first of all, know when to say nothing. It's a good life skill. Know when it's none of your business. You know, don't feel like, oh, there's a gay person. I need to go and tell them about this. Like... You know, Jesus, there were times when Jesus said nothing. He just said nothing. So if, if you struggle with that, I would just say most of the time it's not up to you to be like, I'm going to go have this conversation about a very personal issue with someone I don't really know. Um, maybe it's none of your business. I think if someone invites you into the conversation, that's a great opportunity to say, hey, what it means to be human is we find out how God's will and heart comes to bear upon our real experiences. So let's get into the Bible and see what it says and find out how you can express um, your individuality and your humanity in accordance with how the designer made you. Um, if you do say something, be incredibly careful with your tone, with your vocabulary. You know, don't, if you're pounding on Facebook with all caps, that's probably a sign you're heading in the right, wrong direction. You know, if you're just forwarding obnoxious and inflammatory texts about, or uh, you know, posts about this, that's not good. Do we have an update on the questions? Are there other ones that I didn't see yet? Got that one. Got that one. Got that one. Got that one. All right. Um, questions that we've gotten in the past, which might bless too, because we have time for maybe a couple more. Um, how do we respond when someone says, I was born this way? Uh, I was born this way. That's a good question. Um, I think when it comes to uh, people who would say that I'm born this way, I'd say that there's, there's really no uh, scientific consensus over where homosexual desires come from. So you, there's no proof that it's genetic. There's no proof. In addition, though, the gay community has really been evolving its understanding of who gets to be gay and who doesn't. And there's, there's not like this understanding in the gay community that either you're born with it or you're not welcome in our community. There's, there's a real fluid understanding now of sexuality where there's an invitation for people to explore, find out who you are. For a time, maybe you would be gay, and for a time, maybe you can be both. There's a, it's kind of a behind-the-times thing to be like, well, I'm born this way. Uh, there's really no one-size-fits-all for how someone becomes um, a sexual person. Um, and so I would just say that uh, if you think, well, every gay person is born that way, they disagree with you. 
they disagree with you. And every person has different stories, and many factors contribute to our sexuality. Um, judging by what we read in the Bible today, I would say that just because something feels natural doesn't mean it's God's will, okay? Uh, we're all born with many sinful desires, and the question is, how do we uh, bring those, how do we submit those to a holy God? Um, one last thing that I could cover here, our time is gone, is what if somebody says, well, that's just your opinion? You know, that's just your opinion. Um, I would say that uh, if that's true, you're right. If it's just my opinion, then it doesn't matter. But um, I'm interested in finding out God's opinion. And so if what I'm sharing with you is God's opinion, um, then you could either say that's just God's opinion, and then you'll have to deal with that. Um, or you could tell me what you think God's opinion is and why. And then we can talk about that. But I, I'm not trying to share my opinions on this issue. I'm trying to share based on what God's word says what God's opinion is. So if someone says, well, that's just your opinion, they're really trying to shut down the conversation. And I would say, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this is God's opinion. Let's have that conversation. And just take the focus off yourself and say, I'm trying to find a transcendent truth that applies to us all. And uh, so let's, let's talk about that. Well, thank you so much for your grace toward me. Uh, it's a tough topic, and I don't pretend to know everything on it. If there were some questions that didn't get answered, I'll throw out an email this week. Uh, with a response. But why don't we all stand up and we'll close in prayer and then you can be dismissed. Let's pray. Uh, Father, this morning I'm just so grateful for everyone and their consideration. And um, Lord, I, I, I'm sure that there are many people in this room who just have different opinions on so many parts of this and, and maybe people who didn't even disagree with me. So I just pray uh, that my intentions would be clear, Lord. I, I, really do, I really do want our church to not fail the gay community. And I really do want our world to not fail the gay community as they have. So help us as a church and as a country and as a state and as a world to grow in our ability to learn about the convictions and the compassions that will truly help people uh, who, who are uh, dealing with this on a daily basis. And we love you, Father, and we thank you for your love, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You are loved. We'll see you next week. God bless. One name. One name is